Hey everybody, my name is Alex. I'm coming at you straight from the perch, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I just wanted to encourage everybody to go listen to the last two episodes. I let I let the um cat of the bag a little late on my last Sunday episode just because I was running around with personal stuff. Um, I try to keep that not happening. That's why I actually record most of these in advance at this point, which is amazingly responsible of me considering, you know, the me of it all. But on that note, I also wanted to encourage you to go listen to the episode before that, which is about a show proper. Um, the last episode was a Sunday edition all about fake brands of anime, and it was a fun time. So go check that out, or check out the last Thursday episode that was all about Surme Rome Nove, the Netflix exclusive continuation of Therme Rome, um, which is a fun, weird thing. But today I want to talk about something, and this might get a little heavy only because of the time we live in and what we're talking about, um, and that is a little show called Gate. <laughs> of you, I don't know how much you know about, like, desirable policies in Japan. Japan's got a couple big problems. Um, its biggest problem is arguably its population problem. Its biggest problem is arguably its population problem, and it's, like, weird economic issues driven by, like, some very specific accords, and you can go look that up and find very knowledgeable videos about it on YouTube. But, there are a couple there, and I, the one I'm going to focus on right now is the, is the baby making of it all. There is this urge by Japan's government to promote, like, a certain, certain goals for young people, let's say. And those goals are usually get married, have, have a family, have kids, the whole nine. And keep it in the country because, you know... We're super racist about that, which is totally true. Um, and the, probably the best way to see that is how quickly and how easily they're like, just shut it all down. 
um, during COVID, Japan has been in ways that, like, tourism helps every country, but especially Japan. But Japan, especially, like, Japan has a booming tourism industry, obviously. It, it, revolving not just around anime, but a lot around anime as a cultural export, and as, like, anime fans like me wanting to get over there. I also want to get over there because, you know, my best friend's over there. She just had a birthday. Happy birthday, Kie. Um, but, um, long short of it is, is there's all kinds of reasons that media gets made, but there's also all kinds of things that go into making media. And every once in a while, those wires get crossed, and you get a situation like, and I'm going to explain why I'm talking about this in a second. You get a situation like the video game industry. So let's say uh, whatever publisher, I think I forget what publisher is currently making Call of Duty. Let's say a publisher wants to make a new Call of Duty. One of the people who shows up to the studio as a consultant is a consultant from the U.S. Armed Forces. And this is a real thing. Like, they, they tell everybody, like, how the guns work, how the guns should feel, and, like, what all the new, like, what the text that they're allowed to show, and, like, if they get a little too close to text they're not supposed to show, they're like, hey, back off. And that's for a bunch of reasons. But it's also for this very specific old-school reason, and that is way back when, before... Before the time of video games that you know, that you are probably aware of, the military used to use video games as a recruiting tool. Like, oh, you like playing shooting games, kids? Join the army. And you'll play a real shooting game. And they used to have, like, recruitment seminars with, like, video games and all this other stuff. But that reared its head in an unexpectedly ugly way for me. Um, in the show A and B in just, like, passing, because I've been watching the new Halo thing, or attempting to, I'm not, it's not holding me very well, um, on Paramount+, Plus. but right before the third episode, there was a, like, a flashback to a date, to the days of yore, when, like, Halo, when the Army tried to get Halo players to sign up, and it was a U.S. Army commercial. And my bet would be the army consulted on the Halo show to give it some sort of authenticity and some sort of, like, edge. And that, would, that wouldn't surprise me at all. The reason why I'm talking about this is because of our show this week, Gate, which is this weird thing. It's this very weird thing. I'm going to go over it because I don't think it's a bad show. I think there are some, like appalling parts of it, but I don't think that it is overall bad show. I don't think what it I don't think what it's espousing is bad, but I think that it it can't it can't exist in a way that it is not like this military propaganda esque thing for the Japan self-defense forces. It just kind of can't. From the way that it starts to the way that it ends 
It's just this thing just can't exist this way. And and I increasingly felt that over my watching of the two of the two seasons of a show, which I did in two days because I'm insane. But um, actually, uh, three three days, give or take. Um, but uh, and 24 episodes over three days. It's about six episodes a day. It's not that big a deal. Don't worry about. It. Don't think about it too hard. Um, I'm still mentally fit and healthy. Jesus. Um, he says to himself as he loses grip on reality. But anyway. The premise of this show is a pretty good what if. And that what if is, what if a portal to another world just showed up as a door, a giant Roman column-flanked-esque gate, just showed up in the middle of the modern world and basically in the middle of Japan. And out of that gate came flooding like hordes of fantasy world soldiers, like goblins, mages, dragons, Jesus. Um, and, um, and like human barbarians and whatnot. And just, they lay, they were attempting to lay siege to whatever was on the other side of the gate. And the important part of this is they don't know what's on the other side of the gate. They busting through and getting ready to poke some sticks with their pointy knives. Um, and this poses that, like, this happened in Japan. And one thing that they get really right, they immediately, like, everybody writing this was like, they'd stand that, like, the dragons would be the problem. The dragons are the, for much of the runtime of gate, are the, like, unsolvable obstacle they can't get past. But the dragons are also not, um, I mean, like, not, like, small wyvern dragons, like, big. They call them flame dragons in the show, but they're, like, these big, what you think of as a traditional fantasy dragon um, that breathes fire. Um, those become, like, the stumbling block of the show constantly. But what this show gets immediately right is that they'd have no chance. Are you kidding me? They're showing up with, like, spears and shields and, like, the JSDF. The and I want to stress this because this will be very important later. The JSDF is a unique military thing because it is called the Japan Self-Defense Force because Japan is not allowed to have an army because that's how literally America wrote their constitution. I'm not kidding. So they have the Japan Self-Defense Force, which is like an army but not an army. And like Japan doesn't Japan doesn't pick fights anymore. They just don't. They are a largely pacifist nation. They just don't. There are people in Japan who would love it to pick fights. It would not go well for them if Japan did pick fights. Trust me. In the same way that the... I think they call it like the um, Eldia Empire. I think is the name of the empire in um, Gate. It's the fantasy world empire in Gate. 
anybody who comes in contact with the JSDF sees two things. Sees essentially two things. They see the kind of the first thing they encounter is these people are kind. These people are like humanitarian. They're like they and the JSDF is like very clearly killing with kindness. Um and this this show does a good job of really highlighting the stuff that militaries do around the world that isn't dropping into a country and burning it to the ground. Like oftentimes militaries serve the function of A like they if they're staying in an area they will make use of that area. So they will go to local shops, they will you know, live in the area, they will participate in the community. People in the military oftentimes participate in the community. They, they, they provide a cash flow out the, from somewhere that's not that community into that community, actually. That's one thing. Another thing is, is oftentimes military, just because of the way the training is and because of the way the structure, the hierarchical, hierarchical structure is, are great charity arms, a great humanitarian arm. They get food and clothing to people when they need it. You see this going on in Ukraine, and the war in Ukraine is why isn't why I watched this, but it is why I did put that thing up top. That this might get a little dark feeling at times because there, it's just the world we live in. It's that we live in a world where we are usually at war. Only this one is televised and on the internet and kind of inescapable currently. Um, but the, the thing that Japan at, like, Japan's government and moreover Japan's military probably understands is, like, we, we want to be very careful because, like, We've gained a serious natural resource in our country in a way that we've never had, and the rest of the world clearly wants. And you see that throughout the show. You see, um, the like this like douchebag, Trump-esque American president, kind of fucking around in Japan, and it just doesn't go well for him. And a lot of this is a kind of power fantasy of a very competent Japanese military ability that. Could be there, could not be there. Who knows? Um, but the long and short of it is, Japan does not want to be seen as screwing this up. So they're being very, like, overtly careful. And, like, careful in a way where they realize they are stewardship, they are stewards of this new, what they call the special region. The, like, the dimension, the dimension beyond the gate. And unfortunately for the show, because of the way they start the show, they start this thing off with this kind of casualness towards taking lives of like not I'm not gonna call them Stone Age people or primitive people because that's that's the kind of bullshit that this show explicitly avoids. And explicitly, like, make sure that is not a true thing of any of the people in the show. Even the worst bad guys are not, like, 
primitive rock banging idiots. They are smart people. They are just not people who are aware of what the scope of possibility of violence is. It's when you are facing, when you are a isekai nation facing a bunch of dudes with guns, like big guns. And the long and short of it is, is that this show does a good job of does a good job first of showing the humanitarian effort, and then, but also does a good job of showing the ease at which this would happen if they were to just a switch were to just flip, and it were to be war. If it were to be war, it would take a couple weeks, but they, but Japan would win. Japan would win, and like every noble character, every character character is part of the noble family who like is confronted with the sheer power of, like, just modern rifles. Or just rifles and, of, of just a handgun. It's just like, oh, fuck. We're all going to die. They will end us. They don't even need to think about it. Not even a thought in their head. And that... That, so, bear in mind... For the entirety of Gate, if you've never seen it, that is always there in the back of people's heads. Of like, oh fuck, if we piss off the Japanese, they'll like snap their fingers and we're, we're dead. We're, we're dead. Like, they will pick us off like freaking crumbs on their shirt. It is that insignificant of an ability for them to do this. And that... And I want I wonder how much of that is hyped up by the American voice act by the English voice acting because I did watch the dub version because you can go watch the dub version on um, High Dive if you have High Dive, um, but the thrust of the show ends up being this kind of this this fun. This fun fantasy military otaku romp led by um, our main character, Itami, who, like, it's just an otaku dude going to a convention, and then this gate pops up out of fucking nowhere, and holy hell pours through it. And he's like, oh, I gotta, I got fuck, I gotta, like, not, I gotta miss my convention, I gotta help people. God damn it. And he immediately, like, jumps into action, kills the, like, doesn't even pause kills somebody immediately. Kills a couple people, I think. Just in the street. Just fucking, like, back-knifing people in the neck in the streets. And they, like, show him just, like, dismantling motherfuckers for a couple minutes. And then, like, the cops show up and they have guns. And Jet, the actual Jet, the F shows up and they have guns. And it's over pretty quickly after that. And it's like, it is a, like, almost terrorism-like event. Think something like 9-11. Um, and I, I don't think that this anime 
happened that this story, the mo the light novel, manga, or anime happen without like pre nine eleven. I think that it's in the same camp as something like um, Gundam Double O, and that it is very much affected by the world being a more dangerous place after the World Trade Centers are gone. And because he was there, because he leaped into action, he gets uh, the first you know of like decorated Medal of Honor thing for like something he doesn't really like. He just like it's like what I was gonna do. Let him fuck it. Let let people die. No, I like I'm part of the Japan def self defense forces. I've. You know, it's my job, I guess. I get paid to do this, so I might as well do it when it counts. And later on in the show, you find out that Itami is like... It's like a ranger. It's like a special forces ranger who survived all the training. And he's like... <laughs> Itami is like a... Freaking SEAL Team 6 member, essentially. And like all of his supporters are like, Oh shit, really? You mean the nerdy guy who we barely take orders from? It's like, yeah, he he graduated all those programs. That's how you get that. But um, the so the other thing that this show does is it 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 is it's a harem show. It's like a. It's, it's like a fantasy girl collecting show. You got the goth Lolita girl. You got the human mage girl. You got the elf girl. You got the dark elf girl. You got the whole rainbow, basically, by the end of the show. And, like, the weirdness of that, like, the weird, the weird writing loops they have to bring themselves into to um, get one of the characters to eventually just refer to him exclusively either as father or daddy, which is, ugh, or the, like, they ha the gospel leader girl is one of those, I'm, I look 12, but I'm actually 900 characters. She's also got a real lady boner for murder. In a way, that's true. Like, very true. Um, and she's got a real, she's got a real hard on for Itami. Just like wants to, wants to jump his bones. Something awful, and it's the worst. Um, because I will say very few good things about Dance and the Vampire Bunch. Although I will say this: that show very much knows what it is. It is very much into committing to its own weird bit, and it does not apologize for it. The character of Roy Mercury in this show, they set up the, oh, I look 12, but I'm actually 950, uh, 960, exactly. They could just have done that and just done away with it, and had the, like, like, committed to that, but they don't. They still have to, like, 
remind the viewer that it's creepy because she's in a 12-year-old body. And me, it's just like, eventually they like push that whole section to the side and they're like, oops, like, we're just going to make this a thing now. And the harem collecting aspect is something they use to talk about, like, personal growth. It's something they use. It's something they used to talk about, like, being a refugee, having severe PTSD. Like, it's something they used to talk about. It's something they used to build the concept of religion in, um, El in like, the empire they're in, which is how Rory Mercury fits into the thing. She's a, she's a demi, she's basically a demi, she's a demigod and will become a, like, actual god in about 30 years when she abandons her body and becomes whatever the fuck she wants to become, but also, like, loses attachment to, like, her humanity, which she does not seem super happy about. Um, but, uh, mostly because she wants to bone Itami constantly. Um, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, it's a lot, constantly. Um, the big problem with a show like this, and the big problem with many shows like this. And the, the big problem with isekai shows in general is eventually you get to this middle part where all of it is interchangeable. And this is true of most isekais. Probably the isekai that it's least true of so far is, um, is Jobless Reincarnation. And the reason why it's least true of Jobless Reincarnation is because that show, as soon as that show starts to get into a place of, like, running its wheels, they literally beam up all the characters and shoot them all over the planet and say, figure this shit out, motherfuckers, for a good, like, rest of the first season. And it's a huge deal when that happens. And it, 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 that... The reason why that story turn in Mishoko Tensai, Jobless Reincarnation, um, is so good is because it is stopping, it's, it's immediately recognizing, okay, this story is starting to, like, it's starting to slow down, we need to keep the viewer engaged, here's a way to do that, and here's, like, here's the introduction of what we're really talking about here. And in... Gate, the biggest problem with it as an isekai show is it it has fits and starts of its own lore. So for example, there's a very early on in the show um, Japan is like, oh fuck, bunch of fucking assholes showed up through a doorway in the middle of Tokyo and killed 150 people like that's, and, and the show makes it pretty clear. Like, that's not a lot, but that's enough to be a bad thing, obviously. Any amount of people dead is a bad thing. But, like, over 100 is not a good day, especially in Japan. Japan reacts, understandably, quite grimly to this. Only Japan also realizes, like, 
they only killed 150 people. We narked them pretty quickly. Like, it, we gave Tommy a medal because he did it while he was wearing a nerd t-shirt. We don't so much need to fight them as we do need to barricade ourselves in on the other side. Which they proceed to do. And one of the things they proceed to do is they put up signs in Japanese. And this introduces this moment in the show they expand on for a while and they just drop like a hot potato. And that is a language barrier. All, all the members of Eldia, all the members of this like fantasy world do not speak Japanese, do not speak English, do not speak whatever the default language is of the real world. Do, do not speak easily accessible languages. They speak their own language. And there's this point at which they are pretty clearly like the dubbing does a good job of being like, oh, they're like speaking in broken Eldian or whatever it's called, whatever the language is called, to like communicate with these people and be like, hey, we're okay. We'll only shoot you if you try to kill us. If you don't, we'll give you shit. <laughs> and that leads to a bunch of misunderstandings that leads to the fantasy world on the other side of the gate sending like most of the like 30% of the military just to die because they're sending them against a modern military front and they just get wiped again and again and again. And there's a the character who's like this great like you know general of the empire, like great king in the empire, great ruler in the empire and he gets like all except for like he gets an arm and a leg blown off and almost dies basically well actually that's exactly what happens to him and the really important thing about this show and it, it that because it is a wish fulfillment thing in the idea of a military in the mold of a military otaku it becomes two things it becomes this picture of a unwilling yet somehow very talented and skilled um gsdf like elite soldier who can kick ass and take names but he also you know plays gotcha games on his phone and watches anime and he is collecting all these fantasy, like, elf women and bullshit. Uh, but the thing that the show does accidentally is it shows this, like, brutality of, of, just, mo of just modern warfare and people who just aren't there yet. And probably one of the best character uses in the show, in my opinion at least, is this like white-haired old guy general who's just like very seasoned like warrior and general who once he loses and like they they find him on the battlefield and they're like he's a survivor fit him for prosthetics fix him he got shot a bunch we know how to deal with that do it and he's got and he, and then he has like a crutch he's got a He's got a and a fake leg and he's missing an arm, but it's like amputated properly and cared for. 
and someone someone approaches a minor side character approaches him and says, "I imagine you want to go back to your troop." And he's like, "No, I really don't. I can't tell you how much I don't. I that ain't they ain't it, dog." Is essentially what he says. He's like, "I thought we were the greatest military in existence. We are so not." And um, the princess of the kingdom, Pina Colada, the you know, even the emperor, who's portrayed as this like big evil, like just kind of like sit. He he sits like emperors sit in anime. He sits like with his hand on his like with his elbow on his throne and like his face on his hand and just like out of sheer boredom but overconfidence is like a giant asshole for the first maybe third of a series. By the middle of the series it's just like, nope, we should they they murdered a dragon for self help purposes, essentially. We should we should maybe hear what they have to say because they will kill us, all of us. Without even trying. And there's this constant there's this constant unease later in the show when a new when the emperor is essentially bedridden and the new character takes over like de facto evil emperor ruler guy. And it leaves the whole show kind of weird because there's this there's this problem that shows like this that that shows like this have in that when you have a hyper competent main character take a Kirito or an Itami or any of the other Isekai Isekitis um show characters they are so highly confident that you need to put other characters who don't really deserve it in the line of fire constantly to like give the story weight and give your heart that pang of oh no not the little girl oh no why would you murder a little girl show and like you keep watching partially because you're trying to figure out whether this is the kind of show that was about to kill a little girl um and like you hope it doesn't happen, but then, and this show because of the JSDF angle, really, really exemplifies this. I think it's not, it's not the, it's not the show. It's not that the show is not well written or any of that stuff it's that it's it's frame like the frame is flawed the frame at its core is flawed what i mean by that is they're playing this whole game with this fantasy country and they're really respecting their lives and all this stuff but it's just bad military tactics it's it's not what you do necessarily if you want to ensure like peace between two nations and one nation is just like insanely over everything once once you figured out how to kill a dragon 
you and you brought its head, you should have been like, oh yeah, we stuffed it with blow-up fireworks shit to bring it out to the field. We're going to show you. We're going to show you what we can do. And like, they do, they do that really well. But they do it really well with anybody who doesn't matter. And it takes too long for this show to get to the people who matter. And the only time they do are when the show backs them into a corner with it. So, for example, there's a, um, they're meeting with like a, with like a, um, diplomat from, um, the, from the, from the special region is what they keep calling it. And this diplomat is like, okay, what do you want to show me? And he's just kind of like annoyed to be on their base because it feels weird. And then they show him a rifle and how it works. And he's like, holy shit. And like, there's a, there's like his diplomat thing of like, you need to tell me these things. Like, our army needs to be able to know how to use these. These will give us a tremendous advantage in other conflicts with not you guys, because we're not picking fights with you guys, for obvious reasons. But the, and of course the Japanese are not going to give these fucking dumbasses rifles. It's like, not a good idea, for a variety of reasons. Um, least of which they would use them to attempt to kill Japanese people. Um, but the other thing the guys like, immediately realizes, like, oh, fuck. He realizes the thing all the, like, characters of this world realize. It's like, oh, fuck. I thought we were gonna, like, there would be honor and defeat. I thought there would, like, we would, we would live, we would vest the invaders from the other side of the gate. We are not winning this. And... I think what they want to do here, and I, I think this is important, and this is something that lots of isekai shows attempt to do, but not a whole lot of them pull off very well. And once again, is another there's another thing that um, Jobless Reincarnation actually does do very well. Is it they're trying to pull off this like palace intrigue, this like political intrigue in the palace kind of thing. And it just doesn't, it doesn't all hold together very well. And like I said, part of it is because they keep picking up, like, whole chunks of, wow, this is cool. The cool aspect of this world. And then you just, like, let it blow away in the wind like sand. Like, there's a, there's a scene where um, you learn that Rory is not the only, like, demigod walking around. She's got sisters. This bitch looks like a blue dragon. And then they just kind of move on. They, like, figure out a way to move on from that. And it's like, excuse me? Excuse me? You don't invite Dragon Titty to the show without, like, explaining more than that. You asshole. And they dive into all these little things that it's almost like the show. It's not that it lacks interest, it's that it doesn't have the time to deal with it. Like, they dive into this, like, essentially magic college. And then they're kind of in and out of there pretty quickly. 
it's be it becomes less of a like important thing that they could build a story around and more of a setting that the story is passing through and I keep coming back to um jobless reincarnation because it is it is such a it's such a master class in just like isekai story writing that this this that gate is like a different thing. It's not it is an isekai, but it's like a freewheeling isekai. Then what I'm gonna call it because like the characters go back and eventually go back and forth through the gate without a care in the world. Like by the end, the bit, one of the very end scenes of the show is Itami just like I'm taking a day off. I'm going to fuck home. I'm going to my anime convention. I missed it for two years straight. Because of this bullshit. And then, like, all of his girlfriends follow him, basically. <laughs> um, but, and cause a commotion, and he doesn't get to go to his convention, and boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Poor, pitiful, military otaku me. But, this... I struggle so hard with this show, because it... It's very clearly a proper, a like, milit, a like, almost like a, in the same way that, like, propaganda shows are propaganda for the police, this is a sh- propaganda show for, like, military, you know, for, for the I, concept of the military. Not even really just the concept of the JSBF, although it is very into making sure you love the JSDF by the end of this. It's not... It's not that, like, it's... It doesn't... It doesn't do enough with what it has. And I I think that part of that is that it only got 24 episodes. I know you're probably like, oh my god, it only got two seasons. Oh no. But really what I mean there is they're telling this bigger, longer story, and for whatever reason, my gut feeling is it started to like drag in the second season. Cause even I felt it, I felt it to start to drag in the second season. Even though I like, not intentionally, but it was probably smart of me, watched the whole 24 over like three days, so it didn't have a chance to drag in the way it would probably have a chance to drag if it was a week-to-week deal, like it was back in 2015. Um, and also 2016, I think, um, was its second season. But this show, this show has a lot to kind of fight against in that it is a, like, a clear military rah-rah war, rah-rah, the artifice of, the artifices of war and the, like, ephemera of war as, like, kitsch and, like, attractive um, as a thing, it's very much like, hey, if you, if you like this kind of stuff, you should probably sign up for the military, young man. Um, and it's also that combined with its, like, fits and starts at things, and it's, like, it's odd attempts at things, and the last thing I want to, like, bring up about this show. And by the way, 
I'm not saying I did not enjoy watching the show. It's a fun show. It's just got these, especially now, it's got these big, glaring uh-ohs that you should know going in because it's, a, it's still a fun time. It's still a, you know, fun fantasy isekai thing where, you know, it, uh, the main character, Itami, gets looped into all these, like, isekai storylines and the fun time, and they, especially by the second season, have started developing other side storylines that they, like, kind of, like, just kind of tie up, like, meet with a bow by the end, but they, if this show ever gets its third season, it will be an interesting third season, because they will have changed, they will have majorly, like at a cap end stone point, changed the f- functioning of the fantasy world in a way that was not true at the end of the first season. The last thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about, um, I think her name is Tuka, the forest high elf girl. So, Tuka is found in a, in the bottom of a well in water, um, in a build in a village that was burned by a flame dragon, and it ultimately leads to the like story bit where they all go kill the flame dragon because Tuka needs it for closure. But when they they kind of like they set this they like put Tuka into the story. So Tuka's in the story. And they have a moment in the story where Tuka is asking for two of everything. And she gets pissed off or, like, won't touch it if she's only given, like, one pillow or one sheet or one cot. And she keeps... And in that moment, everybody just kind of, like, stares at each other and then at her, at Tuka afar and they don't give you much there but the other thing about this is you're in a you're in a fantasy world you've been isekai essentially you've been temporarily transferred to an isekai to an isekai development ring basically and every time i see that i'm like i know what this is but the first time i saw it i thought maybe this is like a cool elf Ritual that is part of, like, letting go and all of this stuff. No, what that ends up being, spoiler alert for this show, if you haven't been able to tell already, is it ends up being, like, the start of a mental break for this character. Of, like, a moment where this character is just can't, just dissociates entirely. And this culminates with her calling the, or protagonist, Itami, calling him either father, dad, or daddy. Because she's become convinced that he is her father because she's, like, so far fucking gone, she doesn't know which way it's up anymore. And in that, in, like, having that conversation, they, and I know there's light novels and a manga to go along with this, and there's probably more about Itami's character in those. But what they chose to show in... to, like, endear him to this character and what she's going through and, like, have him 
approach it in a very non-traditional way, is they chose to show him living in an abusive household. But what they did, this is this, this strikes me as odd. I'm not saying that like women can't be abusers too. That's not the point. I'll get to the point in a second. Um, they show a flashback where Itami's a young kid, and you see him in shadow, and you see his mother in shadow, and his mother is crying at the table, and Itami just yells at him, I can't believe you, I can't believe you killed dad. What's wrong with you? You need to go to, you need to be institutionalized. And it's, in two, it in like a very small space, does two very strange things. It A, introduces the idea that Itami was originally from an abusive household, which is fine as a story piece. But it centralizes the mother as the abuser, and it centralizes the mother as like the mentally unstable abuser. And I'm not saying that like that stuff never happens. You would never say that. I'm not say- Once again, I'm not saying that like women can't abuse men. That is not correct. But what I am saying is, like, it had a choice of, you know, demonizing a male character you've never met and demonizing a female character you've never met. And it demonizes the female character. And that, combined with the, like, rah-rah, military's great, rah-rah, struck me as odd. Because there's not much else of that in the show at all, and not much else of like making you feel, making you feel. There aren't necessarily a ton of necessarily strong female characters, although the like three eventually four main girls are pretty strong and capable female characters. But there's a Later on down the line in this show, there's a moment where you see meet a harpy who's a prostitute, and she is always presented as like it's just what she does. It's fine. Like they show her on screen a couple more times, and she takes initiative when there's about to be an earthquake, and like they treat her with a lot of respect and deference in a way that this show could have easily not. And there's um, Pina Colada, who is, like, a major side character in the show. There are the female um, officers who serve under Itami, and they are, like, major characters in their own way. There's Itami's ex-wife, who is, like, her own bundle of, like, manga writing otaku in like in synchronies and nonsense but that little moment of like you could have written a very stock standard story and gotten the point across and maybe even expanded it a little to make the to make the character more like endearing And no, you chose essentially to, like, give him a fucked up mom and no dad. So he is parentless. 
It's like a broken husk, basically. And a you introduced a trad you introduced like tragedy porn there, but you also made it so there's no way to the the way to get to that the way to get the way to revisit that would be very difficult. You'd have to jump through some hoops. One of the one of the kind of geniuses of um, the Todoroki family is that's a near tragedy in My Hero Academia, and that's just the big deal tragedy in that show. And it is a tragedy that's like at the very early stages of maybe being resolved, maybe being resolved, if ever. And the show treats it like that, but it also lets you, the viewer, like into it in a really like personal way. So when Shoto just fucking hates his dad, you understand why. When Shoto has like deeply uncomfortable feelings about going to see his mother, you also understand why. They give you all the pieces. They don't just give you like a black and white diorama and say, oh, sad times. That's why this makes sense to him. And whereas you could have, if you wanted to, spent a whole episode on that. You could have just spent an episode on explaining like why Itani is slightly fucking broken on this level. And it would have been more impactful. But like I said, this show the show's biggest pro- core problem, and I think the problem that pervades it for the entirety of its runtime is that it's just it's not taking enough time to quite do anything. That's why plot points seem like they wrap up pretty quickly. That's why, you know, the the character that's why the character of the Emperor changes like on a dime, it feels like. I know this is compressed and this would normally be over twenty four weeks, but like it just it feels pretty quick to me. And I just I I I think the I think playing with this like idea of like we're trying to be the good guys we're trying not to be the monsters here. It's a really interesting idea. And it, it, it strikes me as so interesting because like the military operations in this thing are so competent and go so smoothly. Because why of course, why wouldn't they? And it's like it's less like they're practicing it's less like they're like engaging in, in combat, it's more like they're doing practice drills almost lots of times. And, like, the times at which things go out of hand are, like, when Rory flies off the handle, literally. Um, or, like, when something goes wrong with somebody who's not a military, like, a military personnel person. Because that person might actually, die, might actually get hurt and die. Whereas, like, if somebody shows up and, like, tried to come up on Itani, he... He carries a sidearm with him at all times. <laughs> he can just whip out a gun and just fucking be like, nope, 
pop, pop. And a couple of times, he kind of does. And the... The last thing I want to talk about is the dragon. Because the dragon is an interesting turning point in the show for, like, what the fantasy world people think of Itani and, like, the JSDF. But it's also an interesting point in the earlier part of the show as well. Because earlier, like, maybe one a third of the way through the first season, they take all the girls to go see Tokyo. Through the gate to go see Tokyo. And to, like, address the Diet, which is the Japanese government. And the Diet does a lot of, like, its political bullshit. And what Itani says, like, no, no, I'm not saying we can't kill a dragon. I'm saying we can't kill the dragon with, like, the stuff we brought. I'm saying we need a railgun. I'm saying we need stuff. I'm saying we need, like, unspeakable stuff we don't use on humans. But we definitely have. And if we want to kill, we want to go dragon killing, we need to have this conversation of, fuck you, it's a sky tank that shoots fire. And once again, the biggest problem here is they, like, do away with that problem pretty quickly. And you have this You have this moment by the end of the second season where they need to, like, invent, they need to, like, put a character in trouble so they can be rescued, and then they need to get Itani to rescue them, and then, like, the plot resolved. And it just, it just feels, it feels like there's more you could be doing with the what-if question here. And I think that they hinted what more could be done with that what-if question in the second apostle that they introduced, the dragon girl. And I think they're hinting at like a wider world, a wider issue there that they just didn't have, that like, I imagine once you introduce that, and once you introduce the concept of, like, oh, there are other apostles, and oh, Rory has, like, 30 more years left before she just straight up goes god mode and, like, detaches from the mortal plane and loses all of her earthly feelings and emotions. And that's a big deal. And a problem in the future. And, how should I put this? I want that stuff, because that stuff gets really interesting, and it gets really, like, it gets to be a really important, interesting, weird thing. In the same way that, like, and maybe this is just for me watching Mishoku Tensei. In the same way the stuff in Jobless Reincarnation with all the, like, the, the man god, the sword god, all these, like, characters who are essentially deities. 
are just kind of running around the world in that thing, fucking shit up, doing weird shit. They, like, causing problems. Magic is a widely known thing in that world, and, like, the nine languages, and there's all of this lore that makes the world feel so real. Whereas, for, from the jump, whereas the world of Gate, like, the world at the on the other side of Gate feels like it's just the start of the what-if question. And they're still starting to stretch it out. And, like, they've introduced what the gate is and how it works. And what Rory de- what Rory Mercury's deal is. And, like, they've introduced a second apostle. Like, I think they need to, if there was a third season, they need to start ramping up the world building. Introducing things constantly to, like, build this world out in a way that it hasn't been just yet. Um, but um, also, take those rocket lo- launchers away from the Dark Elves. They, they, they're fucking dumbasses. They shouldn't have them. Um, but if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh god, that is correct. But on that note, if you like this episode... New episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is more of like this. It's about a show or property. I think I'm probably going to cover the first four episodes of um, the new adaptation, very loose adaptation of Tokyo Vice next week um, on the Thursday show. But the Sunday show, which comes out every other Sunday, which means last Sunday I put out an episode. The Sunday after next is when you'll get the next one. Is more meta tech, and those shows are more meta textual. They're more about like a the industry, um, fandom, that kind of stuff. But if you like this episode, definitely subscribe to it. Tell your friends. You can find this wherever you're listening to me right now. So go check out the rest of the feed. I'll talk to you on Thursday.